This is the post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you all the big match reaction with views from the press box, the dugout and the stands. The latest edition of the post-game podcast is here, following Liverpool's 1-0 victory over Brentford at Anfield, with Mohamed Salah scoring in the first half to take him level with Steven Gerrard in fifth on Liverpool's all-time top scorers list. We'll bring you Paul Gorse's reaction from Anfield, Jurgen Klopp's post-match press conference and, of course, plenty of fan reaction. The post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel. For the second game in a week, uh, Mohamed Salah's only goal of the game is giving Liverpool a 1-0 win at Anfield uh, for Fulham on Wednesday night at Reed Brentford on Saturday evening as the Egyptian moved to 30 goals for the season with a 13th-minute goal uh, down the Anfield road end from Virgil van Dijk's header across goal. Um, first, it's probably worth reflecting on the latest milestone from Mohamed Salah. He's moved up to 30 for what is the fourth time in six seasons as a Liverpool player. He's now up to um, 19 Premier League goals in total. It's uh, the goal that's seen him go joint fifth in the all-time scoring rankings at Anfield alongside a certain Steven Gerrard. And the uh, records just continue to tumble for a player who's now scored nine successive games. Adam Field um, he equalled the record that was set by uh, Gordon Hodgson and then Luis Suarez on Wednesday night against Fulham and now he's taken it outright with the only goal of the game in a, a match that was um, characterised by stoppages for free kicks and loads of bitty, niggly, hard four type, types of challenges. It was a uh, difficult game for Liverpool really. The uh, club made three changes in total from Wednesday's 1-0 win. Against Fulham, in came Cody Gakpo, uh, Andy Robertson replaced Costas Simakas and Diogo Jota came in for Luis Diaz and it was a bit of an exciting looking formation, a bit of a 4-2-3-1 if you like, with Trent Alexander-Arnold moving into midfield, it almost gave Liverpool the look of a 3-3-3-1 if you like, uh, a bit of a unique formation for Jürgen Klopp I'm sure, but it never really translated to free-flowing attacking football on the pitch, there wasn't too many chances to write home about. Uh, Gakpo was impressive as he tends to be with his tight close control, his ability to drift past defenders and he was dropping really deep at times and looking to nip the play. Uh, Salah was a threat throughout. Nunes still looking like he's still looking to find his feet to get a bit of rhythm after uh, not starting too many games of late. He probably should have made a 2 0 from a gorgeous clip over the top from Alexander Arnold in the first half. Uh, Luis Diaz came on the second half but Liverpool never really looked like uh, scoring that second goal that would make the game safe. But in fairness to them, they dug in, they stood up to the uh, set-piece routines of Brentford, one that Klopp called the best set-piece team he's ever faced in his post-match press conference a few seconds ago. Uh, David Ray was taking him from the halfway line and uh, Brentford were packing every man forward for them. Uh, he even came up for the corner a couple of times towards the end and everything that uh, Brentford threw at Liverpool, they stood up to and eventually have come away with a uh, narrow but hard-fought 1-0 victory. Courtesy of Mohamed Salah uh, and his winning goal for the second time in a week. Uh, of course, this uh, game probably shouldn't pass without mentioning the national anthem debacle at the start of the game. Uh, the Premier League strongly suggested that all clubs across the division played the anthem before kick-off to mark the coronation of King Charles. Uh, Liverpool, perhaps controversially, took the decision to uh, agree to it. Uh, it was a move that was roundly booed before kick-off, uh, something that wasn't entirely unexpected, but uh, there we go, it was one that was uh, probably the loudest noise of disapproval that I've ever heard at this famous old ground, in all honesty, but uh, in the end, um, an otherwise ordinary game where Liverpool have picked up uh, more three points on the road, there, or at home rather, um, they've now made it six successive wins and they're just a point behind Manchester United in fourth as they play West Ham United 
on Sunday. So uh, can Liverpool make a late surge for the Champions League places? They're making a real good fist of it. If not, it's finished here at Anfield. Liverpool won Brentford nil. The post game podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Absolutely, it's great. It's great. Say now a couple of times um, the best defensive set piece session I ever saw. Um, Brentford has a lot of qualities, but the set pieces are super special. I told the boys directly after the game that um, um, the focus and concentration we showed today around the set piece against the best best set piece team I've ever played. Um, we or them, whoever created like 50, 60 set pieces, throw-ins, corners, free kicks, goalie takes it from the halfway line or in the own half and eight players line up. Super difficult. Everybody in this line of eight, what we had there as well, stepped up today, was really fully aware of the, of the need um, in these moments. That was great. Um, first half, a lot of good football moments until I think when Trent lost the ball in that area, that was um, maybe maybe one reason. We, all of a sudden, we, we didn't play anymore. Always when we played, we, we had super moments. We came between the lines, uh, mixed it up in behind, in between. I liked it a lot, but that was a moment which we we have to learn to react much better and and and, and keep doing the right things. And then second half, when you only won it up, then it's clear with the, with the way they. What they for them it was everything fine. Uh, they knew they will. We cannot avoid set pieces. Always when the ball rolls over a line, whichever line it is, it's um, yeah red alert actually. And um, so how we deal with that? And we all have it probably in our mind. The game against Nottingham, where that looked completely different in a super intense period for us. The week with Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, they have a full week off. Makes all so it's all an impact. Um, I'm really happy. I'm really have to say I'm really happy with this hard-fought one-nil win. Um, the goal was great, um, and the defending was great. And parts of the football play was really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, just, uh, I know you, you get asked about him every week, but Mo Salah's. Not sure a few more um, records achieved today. Can you just put some of that into perspective? Yeah, the numbers he creates, and we all know that after his career, he will be seen as one of the all-time greats. That's clear. Um, but now he's still in the career, and my, some people, I don't know, um, might not appreciate him enough. We do, but as well as long as he's playing, he needs to work as well, and he did that today. I love, I like that a lot. How he um, is really aware of um, all the, the things we, we need to do. Um, in the moment, it's really, really important for us and, and, and really good. So um, I like the lot. He deserves all the praise he gets already, and he will get even more praise after his career. That, that's how it is, because in a club with the, the, all, with the all-time greats we had in the past, being the first one who scores in nine consecutive home games is super special. Scoring again 30 goals a season is super special. And setting up. A lot of goals as well. He's so often involved in our goals, not in only with the assist or the finish, very often with the, the second or third last pass as well, which is as important. So, yeah, absolutely great. Joe, last one. Yeah. Yeah, it was a difficult day for the, for the 
fans, everybody was, was, was watching what they were doing. How do you think the, the singing of the national anthem and the, and the you know, you'll never walk alone, what's your reaction to that? I, I, first and foremost, today is obviously a, 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 a big day for, for England, so, and, I, I, and I respect that a lot. Um, and everybody who wants to be happy about it and wants to celebrate it is allowed to celebrate it. But we have, thank God, since a while, and not everything is better nowadays than it was in the past, but we have the freedom of free speech, and that means of free opinion as well. And I thought how the people did it. It was clear that something like this will happen. I think everybody knew it. Um, and that's allowed, meanwhile. And that's allowed, and that's fine. Nothing else happened. It was not any kind of chance or whatever. Just the, the people showed that with, and I don't know exactly what it was. Some things I know, but maybe not all. Um, they were not always happy in the past with the things, um, how, how the people of Liverpool, um, the city or the club were dealt with. And that's, that's, uh, that's then what they did. That's it. But I think really today, for all other people who, who love the day, and, who, and, and I'm not sure if you say congratulations to the king, um, if, that's the case, if we do that, then I do that here. It's really celebrated and don't think about other stuff. But people who are not happy about it, yeah, say it, and then that's it. I think it was absolutely OK. Yeah, last one. Good news, no, great news, absolutely. No, 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 no. Imagine we would have played now on Tuesday again. We would be completely knuckled. It's really fine. Could soon, now you could see that today we were, um, that there was one team who had a full week and one team who played only three days ago a super intense game as well. And before that, three days ago, a super intense game as well. Winning three in a row in, at home um, is absolutely special. I, I really think the people who, who saw the game today in the stadium, um, it will not be a game they tell their grandchildren about, but it's a game everybody was a lot to enjoy because the fight we put in was exceptional. The focus level the boys showed was exceptional. Concentration top. Um, and again, a lot of good signs uh, for us how we could look in the future. We have to do that more consistent, we have to learn, we have to adapt, but a lot of good signs, and I'm really pleased with that. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Liverpool ends up getting over the line against Brentford at Anfield, in which was, again, if we're being totally honest, not a fantastic watch for the overall game, how Liverpool played in general, it was a bit of a struggle. And one of the things about Brentford is they are ultimately as direct a team as you probably see in the Premier League in terms of trying to hit their forward players who are very capable, by the way, Ivan Tony, really, really top player as a forward, got a little bit of a mix of everything in his game. And understandably, what they want to try and do is maximise the strengths that they have and to be able to do that they go direct very early and also from set players virtually anywhere on the field, a set play opportunity to be able to try and enter the opposition's 18-yard box. And because of that, the game in general followed the trend of what i seen against Nottingham Forest in the second half at Anfield a few weeks ago, in which Forest played very direct into the centre-forward who would then create problems for Liverpool by, by being able to pin centre-halves, being able to secure the ball and develop situations where set plays could then be, be gained. 
And of course, because of this, when a team goes direct, this means that how Liverpool have been trying to set up in terms of their counter-pressing with Alexander-Arnold playing a little bit higher, well, much higher as part of a midfield, a deeper midfield too, to have more bodies higher in the central areas of the pitch to be able to put pressure on the ball. That doesn't really come into play or it doesn't come into play whatsoever because ultimately you've got a situation in which the opposition are bypassing that initial pressure and trying to enter Liverpool's defensive third much earlier. And because of that, we've seen Liverpool basically adopt out of possession their default 4-3-3 system, which they have used uh, virtually 99.9% of the time under Jürgen Klopp with Alexander-Arnold operating as a right-back without the without the ball, non-dependence on this game situation with the, the idea that Brentford, nine times out of ten, would be going direct earlier. And this created Liverpool some problems within the game of being able to deal with these direct balls, direct attacks in which Brentford then gained some territory and territorial advantage. However, not to the point where you would say that Liverpool looked too vulnerable where you felt the game was going to be taken away from them or they wouldn't end up winning the game. Brentford didn't create a great deal regardless of that, that sort of approach. However, one thing you would say about Brentford is without the ball, they have really coordinated pressure that they want to apply to the opposition's build-up. So one thing we know about Liverpool this season is they've really struggled in terms of playing out from the back, building up which is, has been a real surprise because it's something they haven't previously struggled with from previous seasons. But it has been, for me, probably one of, if not the biggest problem Liverpool have faced this season alongside pressing the opposition when, the, when they're playing against the ball, Liverpool. But with the ball, Liverpool so often surrendering the ball back to the opponent when they're looking to build up in deeper areas. And Brentford's obviously well aware of that. I mean, I don't watch Brentford every week to be able to know whether this is a, a common theme of going man for man when the opposition are playing out from the goalkeeper, but I presume it probably is, seeing as the system has probably used them well throughout the season. And they've gained great results from it because, as we've seen against against Liverpool in this particular game, some of Liverpool's decision-making when they're going out to press, sorry, to play out, was so poor in being able to play forward too quickly, not be patient, going too direct, too early, and basically turning the game into what Brad Brentford would have wanted, which was essentially a back-to-front game in which the ball kept getting turned over. And that is something that's not going to suit Liverpool. It's not going to suit their kind of players because ultimately, when you're playing more direct earlier with a lack of real cohesion or quality in your final ball, Liverpool don't have the kind of attackers in terms of a physical sense that Brentford would have to be able to secure the ball in the final third. And what really frustrated me about it was, so often, Liverpool seemed to be... I don't want to use the, the the term scared, but unwilling to be able to play out from the back and take risks and play the ball into to players who had pressure on them to be able to bounce pass and then play out or look at a double movement to a, a combination to play out. Like, for example, Brighton have done so often this season. So if Brighton were coming up against Brentford in this particular game, they wouldn't have changed their approach. They wouldn't have gone longer. But too often for me, Liverpool went long from the goalkeeper and lacked a real idea of how to play out. And then coordinating movements to be able to get out of pressure that they have to be improved for next season. I mean, Liverpool obviously struggle in terms of that a lot more when Thiago isn't on the field. I appreciate that. But it can't just be down to, to one player to have that quality to be able to manoeuvre the ball from deeper areas. It's got to be a collective collaboration of players in sync and willing to take risks with pressure from 
multiple sides if the opposition are going to man mark because ultimately you're going to have to play it into mark bodies who then accept the ball are able to secure the ball and use the right amount of touches to be able to manoeuvre the ball out and receive on the back foot to be able to play forward and too often this season Liverpool haven't done it and again today I felt that was Liverpool's biggest problem they just weren't able to transfer the ball into the different units of the team once Brentford went man, man for man so often and I think this sort of ties into the next point because what I thought I'd look at really is, and I don't normally do this unless players sign for the clubs, but the links with Alexis McAllister this week from from Brighton, and I, I've got to be honest, I don't I don't watch all the Premier League games and I don't, certainly don't watch all the international games, but because I'm a big fan of Leo Messi, I watched all of the Argentina fixtures within the World Cup. And I couldn't believe how good this player was. I really couldn't. I mean, barring Messi, I felt he was the player of the tournament. And to be honest, because, as I say, I don't invest as much time as I should watching games other than Messi's in Liverpool, I was unaware, really, of just how how fantastic technically and how many different facets he had to his game. And I think he is the kind of player who would definitely help Liverpool in this situation because although he plays as a, a number 10, he normally plays as a, a left-sided eight as well, He's so transferable, his skills, and so adaptable in the way that he plays. He's able to drop into, for example, a a deeper two in midfield. He can operate in all different parts of the field, accept the ball under pressure, secure the ball, and then move it forward. He is a real, real top player for me, a real elite player. And I'd be really happy if Liverpool were to secure his signature in in the summer. I really would. I mean, I look at sort of his, his profile and the way he is and the way, way he's so adaptable in his technical ability in tight spaces. And he reminds me a lot of, of Gini Wijnaldum in the way he can be shaped and moulded into different roles. Wijnaldum was one of these multifunctional players who could basically do any job that was asked of him, whether it was to play higher, whether it was to play lower in the build-up. A really valuable, valuable player. And especially when you were looking for a bit of calmness within the team, almost like a... Uh, a, a player who'd relieve pressure by being able to accept the ball and make, basically make the right choices so often. And again, if I look at another player in the Premier League, likes of an Ilkay Gundogan, I think he's very, very similar. I mean, we've seen Gundogan oper- operate so well as a uh, as a deep-lying pivot. I think he's got one of the best records in, in Premier League history when operating in that role. But ultimately, his main position for Manchester City has been playing on that high left-sided eight role that Alexis has has operated in for Brighton. And if I look at him, it's so many of the traits which I see in Alexis are just it's so transferable to Gundon in the way that, you know, comfortable dropping in lower, receiving the ball, under pressure in that build-up, but also having that ability to be able to influence the final third as well, make them late dart and runs into the penalty area, be, be a goal threatening around the penalty area, and seamlessly move the ball on in that final third when pressure's at its, its most detailed, really, where time and space is, is, is so much more limited. And then players are few and far between. And what I see, I've seen from Alexis... So many times when I've watched him after taking an interest in the World Cup after that, is he's so consistent with his decision-making. And like I say, a real player who I, I would really like Liverpool to try and secure this summer if, hopefully, there's any sort of credence to the to the rumours that Liverpool are interested in the player. And I don't see why they wouldn't be because I'd be surprised, actually, if there weren't more sort of sniffing around this player. And don't get me wrong, Liverpool, I think, would still need other kinds of profiles in there as well in terms of the midfield. More physical attributes maybe in a 
in, in a player who could complement that. So a player who is quick along the ground, maybe more of a, a, a ball winner, someone who has that athleticism, because ultimately that's not Alexis's game. And you've got to marry up the kinds of players that you accumulate and sign to have different traits and different qualities that can obviously balance off against each other. But he would be a great star for me to the, the summer recruitment. The post-game podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Steve Dawson on Liverpool's slender win over Brentford. I did um, complete the Echo's um, little predictor that they put out earlier in the week. And uh, I was extremely generous in um, being optimistic about how bad Man United will be in the run-in. And in doing that, Liverpool qualified for Europe by a point nudging United into fifth. Uh, I'm not suggesting that's necessarily going to happen, but it it made me realise that it's possible. So these three points become very, very important and we shouldn't overlook them. Um, so, you know, not a, not a, a performance full of imagination and delight today by the Red Men, but at the moment it's just, it's just all about getting the three points and, and we did that. Um, and there's not and there's not a great deal you can say about the performance that that uh, you know makes you smile or, or or certainly delights you, but at least we're getting it over the line on a consistent basis these days, which you know is more than we could say for a few weeks ago. Um, I was looking very carefully at the the four attacking players that we started with, so let's let's not talk about uh, Diaz today. I think we all probably agree that he's a super player and um, it's going to be great when he gets back into the swing of things and I imagine that'll be probably next season um, gets his match fitness back he's a he's a great asset to have but the four attacking players that we started with notwithstanding the fact that one of them actually played in midfield today Cody Gakpo really showing that he has um, you know that he is a utility player which we all know Jurgen Klopp likes very much and to put him in on the right side of midfield was a big surprise to me like most people I think when I saw the lineup I was thinking it was um 4231 with Gakpo in the in the you know dropping off sort of behind Darwin Nunes but he actually showed he actually showed um some competence there uh, Jim Beglin who I think is I've said this before I think is an excellent co-commentator, colour commentator and I think in the UK you don't get to hear Jim Beglin much um, he he works for Premier League Productions so that's the the organisation that provides sort of a studio and, and commentators for many territories around the world and he was saying that Gakpo is you know, very strong in possession, I think he's dead right as well to the extent though that is a little bit like a Jeannie Wijnaldum, who, who I think we probably all acknowledge that we miss a lot. He's good at shielding the ball, good at protecting it. Um, so it was useful to see that there's another string to his bow, but I doubt we'll need Cody Gakpo in midfield um, going forward because we're going to supply ourselves with <clears throat> excuse me, two or three world-class midfielders in the summer, aren't we? And therefore, we shouldn't we shouldn't need to resort to um, pulling him away from uh, our attacking three. But yeah, Gakpo, I think, has um, overall 
since he joined the club demonstrated to me that he's a good purchase. Mo Salah, I think probably he's, he's runner-up in terms of our player of the season. Alison Becker obviously first, but Salah has got a in amongst the goals again and just continues to show that although he has ups and downs for little periods, you know, um, he's still he's still an exceptionally talented player and, and gets amongst the goals. And what would we do without his goals? I also am really pleased that Diogo Jota is is back in the fold and. Um, he looks energetic. He looks sprightly, doesn't he? He looks as if he's he could run for days. Um, causes panic amongst the defenders, and um, in in some ways he is the the complete the completed version of Darwin Nunes. Completely different body shape and. Um, but but they generate the same sort of thing. They run at defenders at pace, lots of energy, cause panic for the opposition. But Jota has end product and looks self-assured. And this brings me to Darwin Nunes. I, having seen him now for the best part of a season, um, albeit with uh, one or two little knocks that have kept him out of the side, I remain unconvinced, and even though we have seen players um, in the Premier League adapt and improve beyond their first campaign, I'm not convinced that we're going to see this in Darwin Nunez. His his two contributions to the game today were a really negligent offside early on, and then uh, that, that miss in the 29th minute. Uh, and that was just about it for me, as far as I could tell. I, because he's so athletic, because he's so quick, because he, like Diogo Jota, creates panic among defenders. We all think that there's something in there, uh, and, and we all think that you know he'll come good and and be the the the, the player we all want him to be. But my fear is that he will have a career at Liverpool that mirrors that of Naby Keita where we all realise or, or hope that there is a player in there and we never actually get to see it and if it takes us you know two, three years or the, the duration of his contract for us to acknowledge this then it will have been a waste um, there has been a, a little bit of chatter not really backed up by much that's concrete I think but there has been some discussion about you know whether we'd sell him at this point if we could get decent money for him. And I think I'd be on the side of, of doing that if we could get decent money for him. Because I don't think there's going to be an awful lot of development. He's clumsy. He's clumsy on the ball. He doesn't seem to do the right thing. I think he needed to put a left foot on that finish in the 29th minute rather than the right. He just doesn't seem to be a tidy enough player for Liverpool. And um, if we're going to play three up front next season, then I think the go-to would be Salah on the right, Diaz on the left, Gakpo in the middle. And uh, Jota will get plenty of football. But for me, that means that Darwin Nunez is his fifth choice. And you know, if we keep him, I think he'll still get a fair bit of football. He's not going to be languishing on the bench forever, but... 
I don't think he's quite the player we hoped he would be. And, um, yeah, although there's the possibility that he will improve and, and, and you know, take a, well, generate something of a paradigm shift and, and become a completely different player, I just don't see it happening. I think he's not quite reliable enough, not quite a tidy enough with his feet. And uh, I don't think he'll he'll ever reach what we want him to be. Anyway, three points. Top four. Come on. Come on, Redmen. At Galasahi on Twitter. G-U-L-A-S-A-H-I. The Post Game Podcast on the Blood Red Channel. Hello, Alex Watt. Um, another win. Uh, I thought today was a great opportunity for us to come together as Liverpool fans and recognise the king, uh, the Egyptian king, Mo Salah, obviously, getting his 100th goal at Anfield, no less, which was lovely scenes, as were the pre-match scenes from the Anfield faithful, of course, Um how loudly they sang You'll Never Walk Alone, which is, of course, what I'm referring to. Um, interesting lineup from Klopp today. It was interesting he went for the front four today, I thought. He was obviously confident that Gakpo could drop in, do that Bobby role, um, which I think he did really well. Klopp looked delighted with him at the end of the game. I feel like it's the first time we've seen these four start together, which is interesting. Um, And Klopp was talking before the match about how it's a joy to coach again at the moment, how basically they had nothing to lose. Um, So they made that decision to change certain things before going on this really impressive run. And it's been really interesting to watch Klopp actually playing around with things tactically and positionally because... This guy is one of the most innovative managers ever, but it felt like earlier in the season we were so stuck in a rut and doing the same things over and over again that worked in previous seasons but just weren't working anymore for a variety of reasons. So it's been great to see Klopp kind of mixing it up, trying these new things like Trent's new role, giving it a go with the four forwards today. Um and on top of that, the pressing in these these games has obviously been incredible to watch again. You know, the play the way the players were swarming on Brentford whenever they had the ball, you really do love to see it. And obviously Salah got the goal, as we said, not one of his classic finishes, you would say, but they all count. And I mean, what else is there to say about this guy, really? The man is a club legend through and through. And even in this season where, you know, there's been a bit of criticism of his form, the guy still ended up with 30 goals. I'm sure there'll be quite a few more to come by the end of the season with him on this run as well. And yeah, overall, this was pretty nice and routine, which was obviously nice when you compare it to the reverse fixture early in the season. Definitely much more pleasant to watch than the Spurs game, although it didn't have the hilarious ending. So who's who's to say if it's better or not to control a game like this? Um, there was that slight heart-in-mouth moment when Mbwembo had the ball in the back of the net, but Van Dijk played the offside trap perfectly. It felt like overall we dealt with Mbwembo and, and Tony really well, despite some very bold refereeing from Anthony Taylor throughout Um Mo Salah might get a decision one of these days, you never know. Uh, maybe when he when he's got 200 goals at Anfield. But um, those slight hopes of us getting into the top four, they are still there. Um, 
we can only hope that this run of form does put the pressure on Man United and, and who knows, maybe they will drop points and we can sneak in there. I think it's a big ask, but, you know, we're on a great run at the moment. I think the key thing is that we're on this run of form, we're getting these wins consistently and this was an example, as a few of these recent games have been, obviously the Spurs game aside, um, of us controlling the game and actually getting it over the line with relatively little fuss um and you know this was a tough run of three league games in a week and we've come out of it with the maximum points which is a real testament to the team's form at the moment and the other angle to this is even if we don't end up getting into the champions league this season the signs are all really positive for us getting back to something like our best next season you know things are really clicking at the moment and you'd anticipate, obviously, a few signings in the summer to help with that for next season. McAllister looking like one that's nearly done and one that I'd personally be really, really happy with. So, yeah, positive signs. Leicester next. Hopefully we can keep up the momentum there. And, yeah, more um, less stressful wins like this one would be great. So, cheers. Up the Reds. The post-game podcast on the Blood Red channel.